Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Winston Churchill was a master of the English language. 1953, the British Prime Minister was awarded the Nobel Prize for his contribution to written and spoken word. Oratorically, as he spoke, Churchill had no peer. The king of wit He was often challenged on the floor of Parliament. He was often taken on over a table at dinner parties. But again, he had no peer. Even the great playwright George Bernard Shaw tried to sting Churchill once when Shaw, upon the opening of one of his plays, he sent an invitation to Churchill and he wrote, Dear Mr. Prime Minister, here are two complimentary tickets to the night opening night of my new play. One ticket is for you, and the other is for a friend, if you have one. <laughs> Upon which Churchill dispatched an immediate reply, Dear Mr. Shaw, thank you for your invitation. Unfortunately, my schedule prohibits my attending opening night. However, I shall surely be in attendance the second night. If you have one. (laughs) And understand that it was with this reputation of skillful rhetoric that late in his career, Winston Churchill returned home. Late in his career, he returned home to the scene of his childhood education where he was slated to give a speech. So that night, the students were assembled to hear from their school's most illustrious graduate. His fame as a speaker was well known to every British schoolboy, and so at last, the moment was at hand. They were on the edge of the seats, and they were waiting to hear this great man use his gift. And so at last, Churchill, he approached the podium and he grabbed the the sides of his lectern and he he leaned over with his ferocious bulldog-like jaw and he said these words, never, never, never give up. And he sat down. One sentence. A man who had so much to say, a man who could say it, So well, he said it all with one sentence. Never, never, never give up. 
What a message. What a message that is for us. What a, a complete and challenging and applicable message that is to never give up. Think about that message in the context of the Christian life. You know, this past week I thought about so many of you who find yourselves today in the midst of a fight. In your hearts today, for some of you, you're in a fight. Perhaps today, for you, it's a fight against sin. There's a fight in your heart against sin. It's an alien stronghold that has established itself in your life. It's alien. It was not designed to be a part of you. So, so it doesn't feel right, but it refuses to move today. And so you're in a fight. Some of us are in a fight against sin. For others today, you're in a fight against hopelessness. You're in a fight against hopelessness. Your heart is so close to the edge of despair today. For when you look outside of your door, how deep is the darkness that you see? How deep is the darkness that is outside of your door? For when you look out, you see the godless triumph. You see that the wicked are esteemed. You see that, that evil is exalted. And in your heart, you ask why? And what, what is the point? Why should I try? I mean, how, how can one man, how could, how could one woman do good in the midst of so much bad? And you're drawn near to despair today. You know how many despairing Christians there are in the world today. How many there are. And so many of us today, we are in a fight against hopelessness. And you know, ultimately, what it boils down to is if we're not fighting against our sin, then we're fighting against someone else's. You know, if I'm not fighting against my sin, then I have a fight against someone else's sin. There's someone else's sin that's tearing you up today. So we've been in a fight this week. If we've not already given up, so many of us, we have been in a fight and so many of us are tired of the fight. You know, we're tired of the try. Each passing year, it just seems harder and it seems harder to, to care. It seems harder to make an effort. Harder to hold out hope. And so what a challenging an applicable and complete message it is to hear those words, never, never, never give up. Never give up. It's a message that is so plentiful when you look through the Scriptures. And this morning we'll look specifically at that message, which is found in Philippians 3. You can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. Philippians chapter 3. And this morning I'm going to read from verse 13b, okay? 13b, so we're going to start halfway through verse 13, and then we'll also read uh, verse 14. 
So Philippians chapter 3, beginning with 13b. It says, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'll read that once more. It says, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, to simplify that, it's saying never, never, never give up. Never give up. And for those of us today whom if we were asked, are you in in the throes of a fight? For those of us today, if we were asked that question, and we would raise our hand and we would say, yes, you know, that is me. I mean, whether, whether it's against my sin, whether it's against someone else's sin, hopelessness, affliction, confusion, unbelief, Shane, unbelief's crowding about me today. I am in a struggle today. For those of us who would raise our hands when asked if we're in a struggle, may the Spirit, oh, that the Spirit would help our hearts to hear Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. You see, in Philippians 3, our fight, our struggle, our strain, in Philippians 3, our fight and our struggle and our strain, those things are validated. The fight is validated, it's acknowledged. And and the exhortation then, the encouragement then, is to press on. To never give up, but to press on. But that's hard to do. It's hard to do, because I'm I'm tired of fighting. Right? We grow tired of the fight. So I want to focus on, on 13B this morning. I don't know why, I just love to say that. 13B. Because in that portion of verse, we find two important uh, exercises. Okay, I'm going to call them exercises. We find two important exercises that aid our pressing towards the goal. That aid in our pressing towards the prize. Two exercises. The first is forgetting what is behind. The second is straining towards what is ahead. And those are the two exercises that we see in this verse. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Studying that first exercise, forgetting what is behind. Understand that as a follower of Jesus Christ, meaning that I have placed my faith in the work of the Son of God upon the cross, that His righteousness might be my right standing before a holy God when the day of judgment comes, I, as a follower of Jesus, am told I must forget what is behind me. I must forget what's behind. Now, what does that mean in this context? To forget what is behind. Well, to answer that, I think about the story of the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. 
If you remember that story, the woman, she had been caught in this act of adultery. And so the crowd, uh, they brought this woman before Jesus and they were shouting, Condemnation! Condemnation! Jesus, condemn this woman, they said. But we know in John chapter 8 that Jesus responded and rather than condemning, rather than pronouncing a sentence of death upon this woman, Instead of Jesus saying, listen, this is what you are. This is what you have done. This is who you are. Instead of Jesus telling the woman, this is going to define you from here on out. Instead, Jesus said, go and leave. Okay, He said, leave your life of sin. Jesus was telling the woman to leave her life of sin behind. Leave the old way behind. And that's what forget means in this context. To leave the old way behind. So as you press today, as you and I, as we seek to press towards the prize, what do you need to forget? What is it that you need to forget today? What is it that you need to leave behind? Now, I thought of a, a few things. Um, there are a lot that could fall under uh, this list. But I'm just going to mention a couple. And the first thing I thought of that I think is hard for us to leave behind from our old life. The first thing is our idols. Understand that as I press towards Jesus, I need to leave behind my idols. I think about the story in Second Kings. Uh, there was a young man who was made king of Judah. And the young man's name was Josiah. Josiah was the king of Judah. And the scriptures say that when Josiah, when he heard the word of the Lord, when his heart was awakened to the truth of God, once he was taught, the mind of the Lord, once it was shown to him, the scriptures say that Josiah's heart was grieved. It says that his heart was grieved. For Josiah, he, he looked out over his kingdom, and as Josiah, as he looked out, he saw all of these idols scattered across the landscape of his kingdom. Idols were, were decorating his lawn. And when Josiah, we're told, when Josiah, when he saw those idols and he realized their repulsion, we're told that it tore him up. It tore Josiah apart because all of these statues and all these stones and all of these shrines that the people had erected, that they had poured themselves out for, that they had spared no expense, they had done it all for one purpose. To adore something other than God. They'd done it to adore something other than God. That was why. And so you know what Josiah did? Josiah, unlike so many other kings, Josiah left those idols behind. Specifically, he left them in the dust. For they were burned to the ground. Josiah, he reduced those idols to powder and to the ash and to the dust that they were. 
So Josiah, he saw what they were. He showed what they were. And Josiah left those idols behind. What idol do you need to leave behind today? What idol is in my life that I need to leave behind? You know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians, Paul had had, had an idol. Paul had an idol that he had to leave behind. Paul's idol was himself. He said, I had so much confidence in myself. I had so much confidence in my own flesh. I came from the best family, he said, and I was good. You know, he says, I was good. I mean, I followed every, every rule. I did everything that I was supposed to do. I, w- I was a, a good guy. And so, so Paul, he had so much pride in his own flesh. So much pride in himself. And so he was his idol. What idol have you not torn down in your life today? What idol do we need to leave behind Because understand that as you and I, as we seek to press, pressing towards that prize, which is Jesus Christ, may you and I, like Josiah today, may we look out over our kingdom. Okay, right now, let's look out into our field, out onto our lawn, and let's see, are there any stones? What stone is in my lawn that should not be there? What stone is there? The false hope, the false God, the false dream that reflects nothing of heaven. What stone is there? Know that you and I, that we would find that stone today and that we would grind that stone into something that is finer than mustard powder. Fine. Reduce it to what it is. I was at lunch with somebody this week and they turned me on to Dexpan Expansive Demolition Grout. Have you heard of this? No, okay. (laughs) I looked, I've got a product description for you. Okay, this is great. Guys especially, you're going to love this. The product description reads, Concrete removal and rock breaking has never been easier with Dexpan non-explosive demolition agent. It says Dexpan is a cement with amazing 18,000 PSI expansive strength when mixed with water. Poured into pre-hilled drolls, Dexpan can break concrete and rocks safely and quietly while providing silent cracking. It is safe, it is easy, and it is cost-effective, it says. You know what I think? I think we need to get some Dexpan for our stones. Don't you? We need to get ourselves some Dexpan. We need to reduce those rocks. We need to bring down those stones that are in our life today. And as Jesus told the adulterous woman, then that you and I, that we leave that old life behind. We need to leave our idols behind. The second thing that I would say, something from the old life that's really hard, it's hard for all of us to leave behind, 
our chains. You and I, we need to leave our chains behind. I think about the people of Israel. And, you know, the people of Israel, they lived in Egypt for 400 years. They were enslaved. They were subdued. They were shackled. They were held down. They were unable to move. They were unable to go, unable to be free, until God revealed Himself through the rod of Moses. They were unable to leave their slavery until God revealed Himself through the rod of Moses. And it was through that rod that ultimately the chains of Israel were broken. Exodus 12.41 says, On the, the very day the 430 years ended, the Lord's divisions of people, listen, they left Egypt. Okay? They left their chains Behind, that's what it's saying. It's saying on on that very day they were oppressed no more. They were enslaved no more. Israel left their chains behind when the Lord's divisions left Egypt. What chain do you need to leave behind today? What chain do you have? You know, Paul, Philippians... Paul had had chains. Paul had had chains before Jesus. Paul, he was locked into a legalistic righteousness. Paul was locked into a legalistic righteousness, a self-righteousness, a work-based righteousness. Like, I'm going to do enough and God's going to be happy with that. Now listen, if you're worn out from the fight today, that will wear you out. That will wear you out trying to gain grace through your own work, through your good. That will wear a person out. So what's your chain? What's your chain today? What is it that's shackling around you, that's holding you back in the old life, that's keeping you today from pressing towards the prize that is Jesus Christ. Whatever that chain may be, I want you to know that in this world, listen, there will always be a waiting chain. There will always be a chain that is waiting to attach itself to you, whether it's jealousy, okay, whether it's lust, whether it's self-hatred, whether it's a drug of choice. There will always be that waiting chain waiting to attach, waiting to lock about you. But listen, in, this, in the same way, in spite of the danger, in spite of the chains we have, in spite of those chains that are waiting, listen, in the same way that Israel was set free through the rod of Moses, you and I are set free today by another rod. It's the rod of Jesse. You and I today, we're set free. As Israel was set free through the rod of Moses, you and I were set free today through the rod of Jesse, who the Scripture says is the bright and morning star. It says He is the first and He is the last 
It says he was sent into the world to be the savior of the world. And listen to Romans 8.37. It says, despite all these things. When it's saying despite all these things, it's, it's talking about despite all the suffering, all the wrestling, all the fighting that you're doing, all the things that you have going on. It says, despite all these things, it says overwhelming victory is yours. Through Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Overwhelming victory, it says, is yours through Jesus Christ. Through the rod of Jesse, we are set free. And so, Jesus, He told the woman, leave your sin behind and understand today that He's telling me, Shane, put the chain down. You're no longer enslaved. You're no longer enslaved. It no longer needs to entangle you. It no, it no longer needs to, to, to be able to lock about your feet. Leave it behind. The scriptures are saying, are you ready to leave your chain behind? Are you ready to experience that today? Know that through the rod of Jesse, it can be yours are you ready to leave your chain behind? As we're pressing towards the prize, we say, you know, we got to leave our idols. That's a hard thing. That's hard for all of us to let go of. From the old life, it's hard to leave our idols behind. It says we need, to leave, we need to leave our chains behind. That's hard to do. It's hard to do, but we need to leave our idols behind. We need to leave our chains behind. And then thirdly, I'm going to say regrets. Okay, regrets. Regret, regrets are hard in, in parentheses. I'm going to put unpro. It's like, what in the world is it? I'm just saying like unproductive regrets. Because I kind of want to be specific when I say regrets. Because understand that, that regret, you know, the feeling of sorrow, there's a place for that in the Christian life. It's an important part of the, the repentance process, getting right with God. But, you know, I think regret can become an issue for us where instead of growing through my regret, instead of drawing near to God through my regret, I just float in my regret. You know, I, just, I just sit there and I, I, I weep in it and I, I sit in it and I try with it. We got to get rid of that kind of regret. And it's that kind of regret that we need to leave behind. I think about Paul who wrote the words, you know, we need to forget what behind, we need to forget what is behind. You know, Paul, he had a lot of reason to regret. He had a lot of reason for regret. You know, so much of Paul's life, it was spent running from Christ instead of instead of running to him, so much of Paul's life it had been spent in self-exaltation rather than son exaltation. Paul had so much reason to regret. In Philippians three, Paul tells us, "I persecuted the church." He says, "Next twenty-two nineteen, Paul told Jesus, I imprisoned and I beat." Those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement 
when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. Then 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul had reason for regret. He had a lot of reason for regret. And you know what? So do I. And so do you. So did the adulterous woman. Now you think about her in John chapter 8. She was caught in the act. I mean, can you imagine the shame that she must have had? To be captured in the act. And not only, not only captured, not only found out in that way, but then to be led by the religious leaders and paraded in front of Jesus. And you know, it wasn't just Jesus. It was all the people who had gathered about Jesus to hear from Him, to learn from Him. What shame she had. Such, such a public shame. What reason that woman would have had for regret. And yet, again were the words of Jesus. Leave your sin behind, He said. He told her to leave her sin, leave her old life behind. I wonder, is it time for you to leave your regret behind today? You hear that? Is it time for me to leave my regret today? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, The kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. The kind of sorrow God wants me to experience leads me away from sin. It results in salvation. So godly sorrow, it's to lead us towards salvation, toward good things, towards things of God. It does not hold us back. The kind of sorrow that God wants, because no, God does want sorrow, okay? That's biblical, that's important. It's a productive sorrow, though, that God is looking for within us. Not an unpro sorrow, unproductive sorrow, but a productive sorrow. Sorrow. It's the kind of sorrow that does not hold us in a sin. It's the kind of sorrow that does not keep us mired in the past where we're unable to move, we're unable to press on. You know, some of us were sitting here today and you're thinking, you know, I, I, I want to press. But Shane, I've done so much. I mean, so much of my life has been wasted. I mean, look back in so many days, Shane, so many years. I mean, you just, you don't understand. I have done so much. Listen, we've sinned. We've all sinned. You think, but, but I've got so much baggage. Shane, I've got so much, I've got so much baggage. I have disqualified myself in so many ways you don't even know. We've all sinned. And it's great, our sin. The things we've done, they're grievous to God, to the righteousness, perfection, and holiness of God. We have wrecked ourselves with our sin. We have wrecked others with our sin. There is a rut of devastation 
behind us today. In our wake, there is a rut of devastation that we have left behind. I think about Paul and his rut that he had. Paul had a rut. You know, think about not only those... Don't think just about those individuals who were persecuted. Which was terrible, right? I mean, that alone, the, the persecution of the church, of the people of God, I mean, that was terrible, that was awful of Paul. But don't, don't just think about those individuals. Think about those individuals' families. Think about the generations. Okay? There were generations that were forever altered because of what Paul had done. Forever altered because of Paul's zealous hate. It was awful. It was unthinkable. And yet, Paul did not allow his sin to define himself. Paul did not allow his sin to define him. He did not allow his regret to overtake him or be unproductive. He couldn't. There was too much at stake for Paul. There was too much at stake. There was too much that had to be done. And the prize, it was not behind. The prize, it was not in the past. Somewhere along that rut, the prize was ahead. And listen, Paul was able to press because he understood this truth. And if there's a truth I could get you to take hold of in your heart today, this would be it. Christ does not define me by what I have done. Christ defines me by what He has done. Okay, I pray that you would hear that today. That Christ does not define me by what I have done. Christ defines me by what He has done. Understand who you are today in Jesus Christ. Understand who you are. For in Romans 6 it says, you know, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You're now ashamed of the result. It says you were ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But it says now, now you are free from the power of sin. You have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus. That is who you are in Christ Jesus. No longer are we made to bow before our idols. No longer must we remain chained to those things that master us. No longer do we need to float in the pond of regret. Understand that in Jesus Christ, these things are no longer to be a part of me. Shouldn't be a part of me any longer. We're free in Jesus Christ. And in order to press towards the prize, the first exercise that Paul gave us in Philippians 13b, 
was straining or was forgetting what is behind. So thank goodness what is behind that's behind us because let's be frank, that's a little depressing, uh, all that stuff in the past. Uh, So let's get past that exercise. What's the second exercise in 13b that Paul gave us? He said, strain towards what is ahead. Strain towards what is ahead. What is ahead of me today as a believer in Jesus Christ? Three things. I'm going to give them to you all at once because you and I, ahead, we're going to experience them all at once. These three things are going to be realized at the same time. So understand today that I'm pressing on in the midst of a fight for what is ahead. What is ahead? Perfection, resurrection, and Jesus. Perfection, resurrection, Jesus are what's ahead of me. Understand that you and I, we will see our perfection, experience our resurrection. We're told in Philippians 3.20, It says, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our Savior. And listen, it's going to talk about perfection and resurrection here. It says, he will take our weak mortal bodies and he will change them into glorious bodies like his own. That's ahead. Jesus, he's going to take my mortal body, my weak, my imperfect body, my dying body, And he will change it into a glorious body, into a perfect body, into an immortal body. Like his own. What's Jesus' body like? Well, we read about that last week. We were talking about the reality of knowing Jesus. I shared with you Revelations chapter 1. I'll share just a part of that again. This is what Jesus' body is like. It says, His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. It says, our bodies are going to be changed into his body. And so, and so you know, we might ask, well, so... So what exactly am I going to look like in heaven? Because I'm not, I'm not so sure about this whole sword out of the mouth feature. I mean, how's that, how's that work? I don't have an answer for you about the sword, you know, hanging out of your mouth. Um, but I'm trusting in the Lord on that. But I'll tell you this. Your body best get ready for some burnished bronze. Okay, this is, and when when I'm talking burnished bronze, I mean, this is like a hundred times better than one of those spray on tans you can get. You know, like Suntan City or whatever, 10 bucks, 30 minutes, they'll spray it on, you're good to go. No. No, this is not a spray on tan that Philippians is talking about. It's talking about burnished bronze, glowing as though it's been placed in a furnace. So we can understand. That ahead of me there is perfection, 
and there is resurrection, and there is Jesus. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him. Here it is. For we shall see Him as He is. And my perfected resurrection made possible through the work of Jesus Christ, I will see Him as He is. And stream, that is the prize. That is the prize to see Jesus Christ as He is. For you and I to look upon the Savior with an undimmed eye. You know, maybe you think today, but, you know, Shay, I, I know I should be longing to see Jesus, but, you know, I, I just don't, I don't have that in my heart. I don't know why. Listen, you have, an und, you have a dimmed eye right now. Right now, your eyes are dimmed, but the day is coming. When my voice, it won't be louder than His any longer. No more of my voice trying to be louder than Jesus' voice. No no more of, of my heart trying to usurp His authority. Through the power of Christ, we're told that we will be raised up in Christ. We will be perfected. And in that moment, face to face, we shall see Him as He is. Understand that Jesus is our prize. Are you pressing towards the prize today? Are you pressing towards Jesus? Or are you tempted to give up? Listen, have you given up? Are you tempted to give up? Understand that pressing towards Jesus, seeing Him as He is, that is the ultimate prize. But with the pressing, it's hard. Right? We get so tired. I've said that over and over again today. Shane, Shane, quit repeating yourself. But I'm saying it's true. You know, that fight, that fight, it wears us out. You know, I had a real dilemma this week as I was thinking about this whole idea of pressing. And this whole idea of fighting all the things that we fight against. Because I feel like so much of Paul's language... You know, it's pressing, it's straining, it's fighting, it's, it's beating, it's running, it's working, it's doing all these things. And I hear Paul, you know, using that language. But at the same time, I hear Jesus' words. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, where he says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I had a dilemma this week because I was, was trying to reconcile pressing, training, running, working, beating with Easy yoke. Light burden. How do I reconcile Paul's pressing, which wears us out, with the light burden of Jesus? Well, listen, as I was thinking about, okay, how can I, how can I show you guys what pressing looks like? Initially, I was thinking about like, you know, like bench pressing, like with weights. I thought, you know, we could get a couple of Living Streams hard bodies up here and you know, they could pump some, pump some iron for us. But you know, the, the more that I thought about it, this is not the best picture of the Christian life. This whole idea of, 
And I should have brought a lighter weight. Uh, this whole idea of of pushing and pressing towards the prize and, the, and these weights that we're holding up, these weights that we're training with, they get harder and harder to hold up and they cause us to cramp. Our muscles, they hurt and they ache. And I thought, you know what, that's not, that's not right. That's not a picture of the Christian life. Because Jesus said in Matthew 11... Verse 30, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I I think the thing that you and I need to understand is that when Paul's saying, you need to press, you need to strain, he's not saying, get below this burden. He's not saying, carry it on your own, push through it, toughen up, wisen up, you can do it on your own. No, what Paul is saying is he's saying, listen, you have been freed By the blood of Jesus Christ, therefore get your shoes on, tie up your laces, and run towards the prize. That's huge that we understand that. That we have been forgiven and that we have been freed in Jesus Christ to run towards Him. We are no longer held down. We are no longer burdened with the weight of our own imperfection. But we're set free today to run towards Him and to do it with all joy, with great joy. I want to encourage you today to continue to press, to not give up, but to run towards Jesus. And I wanted to share uh, with you a video clip. Um, and it just, the gentleman talks about, when I run, he says, I feel God's pleasure over me. And that's what pressing towards Jesus is like that's the reality. Knowing Jesus' pleasure over us as we push towards Him. So let's just watch that. Know how I pray today that you would know the pleasure of God as you press towards the prize to which you've been called. You're battling with sin today. Someone else's sin is tearing you apart today. You would hear the words of our Savior. Never give up. He tells us to never give up. Forget what is behind. Strain towards what is ahead. Press on towards the prize. For the day will come. And what a glorious day it will be when you will understand what perfection truly is. And you'll see Jesus as He truly is. If you'd pray with me. Just bow your heads and whatever you have in your heart today. Weariness, uh, hopelessness. There's an idol, there's a chain, there's a regret. Maybe today your head is back because the Spirit has taught you the glorious truth of running in the freedom of Jesus Christ and you're praising Him because His face is growing ever brighter for you today. Wherever you're at, I just encourage you to, to lay it. Lay your heart at His feet.
For Father, we're frail and so often we're tempted to lose heart, to give up doing good. But how I thank you for this body. How I thank you for the people at Living Streams. I thank you that they look to you, they look to Jesus for their strength. And Father, how we ask that you would give us the grace, that you would give us the ability to press on towards the glory of the Son, towards seeing Him, beholding Him in His likeness. Father, how we pray for those hearts who are are having trouble believing today. Father, the, the Son would reveal Himself to them and they would know this is Jesus and He is here today. We would respond to the Son. Heart, help my... Help me to respond to the Son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.